There's no way around it. Caring for a loved one with dementia is not for the faint of heart. We don't know what we don't know, and many families focus so much on the person with dementia that they forget to keep their eyes on the family member managing care, which can be catastrophic. In this podcast, we'll help you become more proactive and remind you to focus on yourself. We will share challenges and wins and guidance from professionals at every step in the journey of caring for a loved one with Alzheimer's and other dementias. Welcome to the Eye on the Caregiver podcast. Welcome to this episode of Eye on the Caregiver podcast. Sean, we're going to change things up a little bit for this episode by shifting you to the guest chair. Today, I'm going to be asking you to keep on keep your corporate entrepreneurial and CEO hat on so we can talk about the impact that caregiving can have on your business. It's a topic that every CEO should have on their mind, and here's why. An estimated 18 to 22 percent of the U.S. labor force is comprised of employees who are family caregivers. About a third of caregiving employees have voluntarily left their jobs or taken lesser roles because of their family caregiving responsibilities. And in a national survey, caregiving employees absorbed an average cost of $19,000 in unpaid caregiving time, valued at about $25 an hour, and an average of just over $20,000 in out-of-pocket expenses. So, Sean, you and I have talked about this many times, and we've actually also had conversations with um, other CEOs and business leaders. But for the sake of our audience today, why are these statistics important to you? Well, as a small business owner, uh, they're incredibly important to us because it all comes down to productivity and focus. And I think that as a CEO, we tend to, we talk a lot about work-life balance and if, you know, it used to be like back in the you know, 80s and 90s, you know, work-life balance was don't work overtime, right? Um, and don't want to work 60 hours a week and have time off. But I think that is such a narrow view of, of what work-life balance is because it really is a, uh, it's a mental thing, right? And some people can balance, have a work-life balance and work 60 hours a week and some people can't. Uh, and then you tack on the fact that people are, are caregivers and I, you know, I know in our case, right. With, with dad, um, the problem is, is that, you know, most jobs are nine to five, especially, you know, white collar jobs and, you know, doctors work nine to five. So you, you, if you're trying to coordinate medical care or doctor's appointments or things like that, you have to do it during the day. And a lot of times doctor's offices are closed at lunchtime, right? So you're like, oh, I'll do it over my lunch break. Well, no, you're not because the doctors aren't even there. So this is such a huge, and, and, you know, we focus on Alzheimer's, right? But, you know, just a family caregiver could be uh, a loved one with cancer or a special needs child or something like that. It's a heavy burden on, on staff. And we, we have to collect, I think we as a, a corporate capitalistic society, and the leaders of these capitalistic society companies need to understand that work-life balance really means that you've got to understand how to be empathetic to what your employees are going through and be flexible to help them. And because it's going to manifest itself to the bottom line at some point. And one of the reasons why 
we you know we created the Alzheimer's Caregiver Alliance, and we use that word alliance very specifically, is because we believe that you know supporting the you know the the you know the unrecognized hero of the caregiver of this story really takes everyone understanding. And if you've got you know you know someone trying to care for a loved one who's also fully employed, and most households now are dual income households, uh, it takes time, and that time has to come from somewhere. There's only a finite amount of time, so they're either taking time off in the middle of the day or they're doing a lot of things at night and they're exhausted for the next day of work, or they're so busy on weekends that they never get a really time to recharge and their focus and their productivity starts going down. So when we started the foundation, you know, in 2016, one of the things that we started really trying to do is create conversation with business leaders to help them understand that there is an impact to the company. There is a bottom line impact, the bottom line impact through productivity and quality of work. And I, I'm a big believer in really the word focus. And when people are highly focused, they can get a lot done in a short amount of time. And we have become a society of unfocused people. And, you know, we could have a whole debate on social media and distractions and things like that, but caring for our loved ones, also takes away our focus and we have to understand that you know our our employees are going through certain things and in order to bring balance to them we have to help them in the things that are taking them off of balance because it helps us in the end so uh, i'm not surprised by these statistics at all and you know we've had employees that have had to take time off to go spend time with their loved ones or take care of things uh, you know, for example, you know, recently we had an employee who's uh, had a couple tragedies in her family. It was just heartbreaking. And they finally came to us and said, look, I've been trying to balance all this um, and I just can't anymore. And I have to take some time off. I need three or four weeks off to kind of get everything in order uh, and, you know, get family matters in order and things like that. And we said, take the time off, right? Because we knew that, you know, this person was at a breaking point. And we had to be flexible because we value them and we value the work that they do and they're an excellent employee and we want them to be happy and we want them to stay. So uh, this has an impact across the board for all companies. And, you know, if you're if you're a leader in a company or a CEO and you don't really recognize that, I think you're missing a, a big you're missing a big you have a big blind spot in. Um, how your employees are really operating and, and the optimal level in which they are operating. I mean, you said it so well, like, absolutely. I think, you know, you look at the bottom line as, you know, if we, if we just focus on productivity for the sake of this con- uh, conversation, that's great, you know, but there's also, you and I have talked a little bit about some of the financial bottom line other than the obvious, right? The obvious productivity or time off you know, as a, as a CEO, you, you spend a good amount of money and, you know, you have a hefty budget in your recruiting department, right? And so you're recruiting, you're trying to recruit and there's a cost that comes with recruiting top talent to your company. And you don't want to make that investment knowing that 
you know, that employee may or may not be here because of um, commitments outside their home. I've heard you say that before. So, yeah, I, you... I mean, we're in the people business, right? We're so uh, my company is in the consulting business and people are our product. So if we don't have people, we don't have product to sell and we don't make money. So, but I think, you know, every business primarily is a people business, right? And you have to take care of your people in order to really build a well-functioning organization and one that can serve your client base the best. It's incredibly expensive to hire people. Uh, it's, you know, there's an old adage in sales, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to make, you know, cost five times more to, to, to gain a client than it is to, to, you know, keep a client. And that's true in the people business. Uh, it's, it's incredibly expensive and there's tons of opportunity lost. So if we have somebody who leaves the company and is no longer on a billable project and we're not making revenue, we have opportunity loss. So if it takes us, you know, six weeks to refill that position, we just lost a month and a half of revenue, you know, and that's effectively, you know, you know, 18% of an annual revenue or is that right? Uh, yeah, to, you know, something like that. So let's call it 15%. Um, that's a big hit, you know, and so if you can keep people, then that's good. If you can keep quality people, it's, you know, that's what you really want to do. And you don't want to be in the business of, of spending all your recruiting budget, rehiring positions. Uh, that just doesn't get you anywhere. You're just treading water from a growth perspective. So yeah, it, I mean, recruiting is you've got, you know, again, we're in the people business. So if someone needs to take a couple of days off because they have to get family matters in order that costs us, right? We don't make money that day. And if we lose somebody, we don't make money in the meantime of trying to replace them. And this is becoming more and more important now because the economy and unemployment is so low. And for what we do, it's incredibly hard to find people qualified to do the work that we do. So, you know, our recruiting costs are even more and time to find new talent is even longer than it's ever been. And the competitiveness of our industry, it's very, very difficult right now. So the idea of losing an employee is really, really tough right now because it's so expensive to replace them. So, you know, we have to really think about the employee experience. And some people think about, you know, what is the employee experience really all about? And if it's just, you know, making sure that they, you know, have the technology and the tools to do what they need to do, that's one thing. But we have to start thinking about the mental side of, of what our employees need. And I think, what's, I think what's been good about the pandemic is the pandemic kind of reset industry uh, and allowed uh, companies to go remote and operate remote and get very comfortable remote remote. And I think, I don't think without a global pandemic, we, this would ever happen because it's just so difficult for us when our, our clients are say, Hey, we're in the office. So we expect you to be on site working with us directly. But then also our clients are saying, Hey, we're not coming into the office. So you guys don't need to be here anymore. So the world kind of collectively went remote at one time. And I think that's really opened up an opportunity and challenges to, work-life balance. And I think in the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of people were working a lot of hours and they were really trying to hard, trying to find that balance because they end up working 10 or 11 hours. They didn't know when to shut off, right? 
or they couldn't shut off. So we need to help employees figure out how to shut off. We need to also, um, but it also gives employees that are caregiving a little bit more flexibility. You know, they're not under the, uh, the watchful eye of, of, you know, somebody in the office, if they take a break to go make a phone call to a doctor or they need to run out and get a prescription or they need to call a caregiver or, or a, uh, in health, in health, in-house, you know, caregiver to kind of coordinate and get status on things. So it gives them a little bit more flexibility, but it's still, you know, as we know, Michelle, like caregiving is a very mentally intensive, um, situation and we as employers also need to address that you know the mental well-being of our staff and making sure that they're getting what they need and um and i I think it's good for i think it's good for society i think you know in some senses we have an obligation to do that as leaders of companies Um, but it's also just good human practice Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, when you start talking about, um, I, I, I agree about in-home, you know, remote working, it provides a great opportunity and it does provide some flexibility. But when you're caregiving some with, for someone who has dementia, especially if they're in your home, there's a lot of things that you have to deal with. You're dealing with behavioral issues and you're dealing with, you know, the lack of understanding that you might have like an important meeting and, you know, does that make sense? Like I yeah. have an, you know, I have an important meeting and yet now, you know, my mom suddenly like needs something right now and she's standing at my office door, you know? And so there's, it also, it, it opens up opportunities, but it creates some, um, some challenges that are not faced when you're out of the house and, and, and in the office, you know, and we can talk about like, making phone calls and, you know, making appointments and scheduling appointments. But there's another layer to that too. And that is, you know, getting your loved one to the appointments. You know, I know when dad was in memory care um, and I was the local contact for mom and dad, you know, it doesn't matter that I have a, a meeting or I have a call on Zoom or whatever. If the ER calls or they call me and say, you know, your dad is getting taken to the ER and he wasn't even living in our home you know, and you kind of have to drop everything. And and again, this works for caregivers, not just to someone with dementia, but any full-time employee or part-time employee who's got caregiving responsibilities while they are working and in the, you know, in, in working on their career. So it's, you know, there, there's so, so many layers. Um, yeah. And I, I just, think the, the financial aspects of caregiving is, I mean, we have to talk about that, right? Because, and maybe the pandemic is, has really put more pressure on people to say, Hey, you know, like you said, I, maybe now that I'm working from home, I don't need somebody to come into the house every day for as long as it used to be. But the reality is, is that need of that, um, that person with, with Alzheimer's or, or dementia that they get from, you know, six hours of in-home care from say a nurse if you take that away and say, okay, well, we only going to do two hours a day, that need doesn't go away. It just gets transferred. And you're right. You're, you're trying to be on an important customer meeting and your loved one's like standing outside your office, kind of knocking on the door and banging on the door because they don't know, they don't really know what you're doing. And um, so I, I think that, you know, the pandemic has been good and in some ways has been bad. And, 
And, it, and I think part of the issue too, which is really tough is when people feel like they can't, it's not worth it for them to work anymore. And they come and they drop out of the workforce or dramatically reduce their, their involvement in the workforce because, Hey, you know, I, I want to, if I had the money, I would put my loved one into a memory unit or a memory care facility. And, but it's, you know, $8,000 a month or $10,000 a month. And that's after taxes. So you've got to earn $170,000 a year to pay for it. And they can't do it. So they basically said, I guess it's better that I just quit my job and stay home. And then you, then you cut the finances of the family down, you know, possibly 50% or more. And that creates all kinds of financial burden and, um, on and then and then if you're the employer of the other spouse that is is still working they're under tremendous pressure now because they just they may be in a financial crisis so there's all kinds of ramifications of this and you know we as employers and we as company leaders i think we need to do a better job at you know really recognizing when people are struggling and trying to you know enter into conversation to help help them through the some of these crises and and be part of the solution and not just be part of the problem where we say well you know your private life is your private life we don't you know we don't talk about that you know i just need you to get this report done tomorrow at 12. Um, that's a that's a kind of a narrow view in my mind Absolutely. I, I think, um, you know, that's a whole nother problem that caregivers we, we find, and I'm guilty of this myself. I think, I think everyone I've ever met is probably guilty of this. And that is when you're, when you have caregiving responsibilities at home, you don't necessarily talk about it at work. I remember when we first started the foundation, I just remember people at work I was shocked at the number of people that had a parent or a grandparent that they were taking care of that had dementia. And I, I just had no idea, you know? And so just think about the people that are caring for um, older parents or children, you know, um, during the pandemic, it was magnified because parents, not only were they working from home, but their kids were at home. <laughs> and if they were caring for someone with special needs, they were at home and there was absolutely not one single minute to get a break. Um, I read a recent white paper by, um, that was published by the Rosalind Carter Institute for Caregivers, and it said that caregiver employees provide an estimated 20 hours a week of caregiving outside of their full-time job. And they use a term that I had not heard before, and it's called, they call it invisible overtime. And I really like it because I think that's exactly, it's exactly what it is. You know, you talk about having a project due at work or whatever you might have going on and you're already working overtime, you know, in the sense that you're coming home and you're dealing with all of these um, other responsibilities. It's, it's, it's really exhausting. And I, um, as I just said, I, f I think there's a lot of employees that are afraid to speak to their boss, their manager, um, their CEO and kind of let them know what they're doing because they're afraid that it will have an impact on future opportunities for them, promotions. Um, you know, if they say they can't travel, you know, that may have an impact on, on their job and the security of their job. And so people keep quiet. So they're taking 
more anxiety on themselves. They're carrying around more anxiety than is really necessary. So I really would like to see caregivers, you know, and companies like yours, you know, have an open dialogue and encourage employees to, you know, not go it alone and, and, you know, and talk about it so that you can be part of a solution together. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that, you know, it's a two-way street, right? I can't fix a problem I don't know about, right? And it also, um, you know, there's a line, you know, we've gotten into the this, we have a culture now, and I'm not entirely sure where it came from. I, and I think that a lot of it has come through like privacy laws. Like, I mean, when we interview people, we can't ask certain questions, right? Um, we can't ask employees certain questions. Like we, you know, we can't, we can't, I mean, I'm not allowed to ask if somebody's married, right? I'm not allowed to ask lots of questions during the interview process. And, you know, so I think we've, we've, and I don't disagree with privacy, right? I'm a big believer in privacy, but, um, I can't fix a problem I don't know about. And if I can't ask the questions to dig into an area, then, um, then that makes it harder as an employer. So one of the things that I do is I try to call every single employee once a quarter and just for 10 or 15 minutes, just to check in and see how they're doing. Uh, it's a lot of phone calls every quarter, but, uh, you know, what, 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 it's really been surprising that when, you know, they get a call from the CEO, it's not uncommon for them to say, I've never talked to the CEO of a company I've worked with before. But one of the things that, uh, I ask is, is like, is there anything I can help you with, you know, personal, professional. And when you ask that question, uh, and you know, maybe it might take a few phone calls and they start getting comfortable. They may actually say, yeah, I'm having difficulty doing X, Y, and Z. And, you know, we had a, we had an employee recently, you know, this is probably last year that had a problem with their estate and their, I think their, one of their parents died or their last living parent died and they were having an estate problem. And, you know, we found out about it and I was able to connect him with, uh, an estate attorney, you know, it's, again, it's not Alzheimer's related, but, um, it's in the same spirit. It was causing him stress and, he, uh, he didn't know where to turn. He'd never dealt with anything like this before. And I knew people. So I said, why don't I get you in touch with an attorney? I don't know your situation. I don't need to know your situation. Um, but you know, talk to them and, and maybe they can help you. Um, uh, that came out of the conversation. You know, I've had, you know, many people say, Hey, I've got an issue here. And you know, it's, it's interesting. Cause I would say that when I make those calls and somebody, I, not everybody I talk to basically surfaces a problem and, you know, maybe 25% do. And of that, you know, maybe, but I find that when they do present a problem, probably 60, 70% of the time. So the majority of the time it's a personal problem. It's not a work problem. So that really got me thinking like, you know, you know, people are under stress. I mean, I'm under stress, you're under stress, everybody's under stress in their personal life. And it could be, you know, you know, helping a child find a job out of college or, you know, helping a loved one. And we're all under all kinds of stress and trying to solve things. And it just weighs on us. And, you know, if we can help them out in any way, we will. Right. 
And, you know, that, that to me is where we've got to get to as a company, as a, as a society, but kind of back to my original point, the employees also have to speak up. And I understand that some of them may feel that, well, I don't really want to burden anybody with my problem, or I'm not really comfortable in this culture of bringing something up because I don't know how it could be used against me in a promotion and things, everything you just said. And, you know, companies really have to, uh, they really have to create a culture where transparency and openness is, is valued. And so ultimately that's, you know, it needs to be a two way street. And I think it's the company needs to create the culture to really um, take away the friction of that two way street. But if the company is doing things and trying to, to take away that friction, the employees also have to speak up because if there's a problem, like recently I had an employee had an issue and uh, it, it started in July and I just found out about it. You know, you know we could have, we could have addressed it the day after in July but I just found out about it and, and, it, and, I, and we were able to resolve it. And I, you know, jumped in and tried to help resolve the problem. Uh, I wish I could have done it two months ago, but I didn't know about it. You know, so I think that um, it's, it's a two way street. And, uh, and, you know, it's one thing that, um, you know, um, someone once said to me about relationships, you know, it's like you, you have to give more than 50%, right? And sometimes someone has to like, you know, uh, you know, in a relationship, people need to meet halfway, but sometimes someone needs to go far beyond halfway, right. And pull that other person into, you know, into the conversation. And I think companies need to go a little bit more than 50%, but the employees need to meet us there too. Right. And, and I think if we do that, then I think we collectively win, right. Anything that we can do to help, we will try and we'll attempt. And I'll be frank, sometimes we can't. Sometimes there's an issue that we just cannot solve, but we can understand, right? And we can understand what they're going through and we can be empathetic to the challenge that they have and maybe maybe do something as far as giving them a little bit more flexibility to deal with a very difficult situation that we can't help solve. We can just help lessen the impact of it. I think like everything we talk about across the board when we're trying to help caregivers, it's it, it all kind of focuses on communication, right? If, you, if you're struggling, we don't want you to struggle alone. If you don't understand something, we don't want you to move forward if you don't understand what you're getting yourself into, you know? And so I really applaud you and I admire what you do as a CEO and the things that you do for your company because I don't, I don't think it's the norm. And I hope that by having these conversations, we can bring it, you know, kind of front and center in front of other CEOs and, and have them look at things a little bit differently and kind of keep this conversation going and, and open up the doors of communication. And, you know, we're talking now and, and as we always do, you know, we help caregivers to those with dementia. And so this podcast is marketed to that community and that demographic, but you know, this is by no means a caregiving for dementia problem. You know, this is a caregiving problem across the board. And so, um, you know, I really hope that we, you know, that people outside of our demographic are also going to hear this conversation because I think it's, it's just, it's vital. 
You know, it's, it's vital to the health of a company. It's vital to the health of a family. It's vital to the health, the emotional health and well-being of the caregiver who was also an employee. And, you know, we didn't even touch on the fact that there's a lot of working caregivers who are in the sandwich generation who are still caring for their own children at home, or maybe they have children in college while they have an aging parent with dementia who may or may not live close, you know, and it just, it's kind of never ending. Right. And so I, I appreciate your, um, your insight. And, and like I said, I, I, I think it's great what you do. And, and I, I just kind of hope that other CEOs can follow suit. Well, I, so, I appreciate that. And I, I think you bring up a really key point and that you, you brought up a very, very important word and that is communication. Uh, I am a very firm believer that most problems in our lives um, are caused or exacerbated by a lack of communication. And a lot of problems that we have at work, when you when you, we have issues at work um, or we have issues with a project or a client or performance, there always tends to be a communication component that broke down, you know? And the more we can communicate with each other, the more we can solve problems because when we communicate, we understand. And when we understand, we can then solve. And I think that, you know, we are society, right? I mean, we're, we have, we have a society right now that just can't communicate. We're divided and we can't communicate. We can't hear each other and, and understand each other's point of views. And you have, you know, situations at work where people aren't communicating because maybe they don't want to like, uh, bring up bad news, you know, well, I, we can't solve a problem if we don't know about it, you know, and, uh, you know, issues I've had with kids, my kids in the past, you know, communication, they're not communicating with us or we're not communicating with them. We're not communicating, you know, our expectations for what they do and, and their behavior. Um, so therefore, you know, they don't know, right? So communication is, is such a foundational thing. And I, and it's, to me, it's the, it's the, it's the root of, of it's a foundation of every relationship and the foundation of, of a society. And that's why I, I really try to get people in our company to communicate and communicate often and communicate quickly and don't hold back. You know, if you have a question, I'd rather have you communicate that question to me than spend days, hours, weeks trying to solve something that you, we could have helped you along on that, that solution, you know, immediately instead you spun your wheels or there's something going wrong on a client project, something, you know, somebody's delaying a component of the project that may delay the overall schedule. You've got to communicate it because we can't solve that until we communicate it. If you're having issues at home and that those issues at home are causing you to, you know, have a lot of stress or, or miss days of work or, uh, miss, you know, miss or lower productivity and maybe creating work product that isn't your best, then communicate, uh, because we can, we can work together and solve problems if we just communicate. A hundred percent. You know, I'm personally, I know I'm guilty of that. And, you know, I think we all we are. Try. I mean, we, we all are yeah. like, I, I'm, you know, 
I don't mean to put myself on a pedestal because there are many times where I forget to communicate, you know, and, and the one thing is that I, I want us to like people in my company to know is that everybody is accountable. You know, I'm accountable for, for decisions and communicating. Um, I'm accountable for behavior. I'm accountable as everybody's accountable inside of our company. And, um, when you, when you start there, then, and people believe you believe that you're accountable, then, then we have a, a, we have less friction to communicate. Yes. Yes. I think, you know, we've talked about this before too, and we're going to wrap this up, but you know, when you look at the demographic of caregivers, if you're a spouse to someone who's dealing with Alzheimer's right now, who's living with Alzheimer's, you know, chances are they're in their seventies or eighties. And that generation is a generation that, that, um, you know, didn't really like to air their dirty laundry, right? Like Mm -hmm. everything was very private. Everything was very, you know, I, I told someone the other day, you know, I never for once in my life, never felt like I was loved by my parents. Like it wasn't even on my radar screen. I had, you know, you and I, we had a great, and our siblings, you know, we had a great upbringing. You know, I never doubted that I was loved by my parents, but they never said it. I was like, I was married and living in Georgia when I got a phone call one time and my dad ended the, or dad, my dad, our dad ended the call and said, I love you. And I remember hanging up the phone and thinking, holy cow, I think that's the first time I ever heard him say that. You know, it had a real impact on me. Yet now we are, you know, that next generation, we're much more open with our children and our friends. And, you know, we're much, we communicate things that kind of would make our parents and grandparents cringe, right? Because they don't talk about things outside of home. And so I can see caregivers who are working and they, when, when they're, and they don't want to, they don't want to air their dirty laundry. They don't want to talk about what's bad or what's, what might be perceived as negative. They just want to keep on a happy face all the time. And that's another thing, like whether, whether we're talking about the bottom line to business or we're talking about how to home, um, how to hire home care, you know, we want you to be able as a caregiver to raise your hand when you don't understand something or you don't know how to do something or you feel like you're on an island. We don't want anyone to feel that way. And every time we can reach a family successfully that way, we've done our job, right? We've done our yeah, job absolutely. Them absolutely. To, to communicate. Yeah, we've had a lot of conversations. I'm just, I don't have anything more to add <laughs> to our childhood because <laughs> it's the exact same, same experience. And, um, and yeah, we live in a world now where, you know, therapy is, I think we, I, I, I say my kids are in the therapy generation, you know, everybody's in therapy and, um, and I think that's a good thing. I mean, I, you know, what, and one of the things I always told my kids is that, um, I wish you could talk to me about everything, but if you can't, I just need you to talk to somebody. Right. And, right. uh, so if we can, if we can build a culture of, uh, and I, I think the problem with, you know, the problem with the business world and, and, and what we're talking about right now is there still is this underlying current of, I don't want to share because I don't know how it's going to come back and bite me, right? Is this going to be an excuse for me to like, let be let go, you know, or, you know, am I first on the chopping block if, you know, they have, if they have to lay people off because I have all these problems, 
nobody really, I, I think we still live in this culture. Uh, I think it's a lot less than it was maybe 30, 40 years ago. And certainly when I started my career 30 years ago, but um, I think that still is there. And maybe it's because, you know, we also, I also, uh, you know, our company average age of our employee is like 45 or 43. So maybe we still have that generation of people who feel that way. Uh, but uh, I wish that could change, right? I wish that uh, we could we could really get people to say, hey, look, you know, I, I need to tell you about what's going on in my life. So um, because we want to be we, we want we want to be part of a solution, right? And and help people through this. And and it's good for us. It's good for the bottom line, right? It it's good for the keeps, bottom line. It keeps our people employed, keeps my recruiting costs down, keeps my revenue coming in, keeps you know, my employees engaged. It produces better work product for our clients. So our clients get better value out of it. It's just good for everybody. And um you know, so if you're listening to this and you're you are uh, you know, working in the company and you're dealing with a caregiving, um, I encourage you to find somebody you can talk to, you know, if you're struggling and, and open up a dialogue with them. If you trust them and feel like there's somebody that can help you, because I think that a lot of leaders, they really do want to help. They may not be asking or being as proactive as they could be, but I think most, you know, I do believe in humanity, right? That you know, we we're, we're all here to help each other. And I think the vast majority of people feel that way too. I do too. I, I really do. I think, um, you know, sometimes I, also... sometimes I question that, but in general, <laughs> I feel that way. For sure. For sure. And I think, you know, sometimes you, it, we lit, we continue to live. I, I can't wait till this is gone, but we continue to live in a society where, um, this is how it's always been done. So that's how it, going to be, you know, and, um, you and I both know that that's not true. You know, change is good. You know, we see positive change that came post post COVID post COVID pandemic. And, you know, we talked about that a little bit earlier, but, you know, just because as a CEO or, a you know, a business owner, just because this is how it's been done does not mean that you shouldn't talk about changing it up. Right. And so, no, we should always be pushing yeah. for improvement. You know, I'm a big growth minded person and, uh, I'm 56 years old and I, uh, very firmly believe that I don't know enough. And, you know, so continually learning, continue to be better. That's really what the human experience I think ultimately is. And that means change. And we have to be open to change because if you're not open to change, then, you're just destined to keep doing the same thing over and over again and eventually eventually fails right so we have to be open to change and we have to be, embrace it and you know this new generation of of that's coming in who are more open about what they're going through and uh, i think that's a good thing for us you know and they'll change the landscape of the corporate world i i'm i'm excited to see what the corporate world looks like in 20 years I couldn't agree with you more. It, it's, it is exciting. So Sean, thank you so much for sharing your expertise. As always, we'll have links in our show notes um, to the white paper we referenced from the Rosalind Carter Institute for Caregivers, as well as links to our website and other resources that we might have available. So thank you so much for an, a great conversation. Oh, you're welcome. I, you know, 
you know me, I could talk about this stuff all day. So we'll talk about some more in the future, but uh, I'm, I'm really excited about some of our guests coming up and, and more topics. So we'll, uh, we'll shelve part two of this conversation for the future. Awesome. Thanks, Sean. All right. Take care.